You're listening to the Millennials Choice Show, Canada's most trusted podcast on all things real estate, finance, and entrepreneurship. Here's your host, Matthew Ablican. Hey, 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 guys, and welcome to another episode of the Millennials Choice Show. I'm here with your co-host Matthew and I'll be the host today Sarah Applican. Sounds good. <laughs> hey guys how you doing? So before we get started we have an awesome awesome episode for you guys but first things first we just hit 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. Let's go. Yes so keep doing what you guys are doing. Thank you for all the love and if you haven't already done so please give us a follow, like, comment, show us all the love you can. <laughs> yes please. Yeah thank you guys. It's uh as you know, we have a we run a real business and we wanted to educate people and we wanted to put everything out there for free for you guys. And so, you know, 5K is is no small achievement in my eyes. Short amount of time as well doing it on YouTube, but thank you, thank you, thank you. No, 5K is huge. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about real estate, real estate, real estate. Yeah. So, I want to hear everything you have to update us with and give us some cool tips and announcements and yeah yeah absolutely and first of all you guys know me there's i'm always trying to go to a different level so we hit 5k the goal is 20k by september of 2023 that's my goal we could do it i think we can do it we've got some awesome content already lined up for you guys amazing some awesome content that's going to be recorded uh in the coming weeks so make sure you guys subscribe and do your duties we appreciate it very much that's step number one or yeah. point number one, I should yeah. say. And then point number two, I want to give you guys a market update. Yeah. Okay. A real time market update, give you some stats and, you know, hopefully this episode will air quick enough so that you guys can have the most up to date. But as of the date of recording, these are the stats we have and that's what we're going to give you guys. I also want to give you my official prediction. I know people give, there's, there's so many people on, on different sides of the fence for that. Do they give a prediction? Do they not give a prediction? Some people feel like I personally don't care for predictions because uh, it's just somebody's opinion. Nobody knows for sure. But I want to give you guys what I think is going to happen based on what we're seeing. And and so we'll see how that plays out. Nobody knows for for certain, but it, it, I think it's cool just to give a little bit of a prediction based on stats, based on what I'm seeing going on. And, and I don't want to give a universal prediction. This is what's going to happen in the us market no i, I want to give a prediction for what i think is going to happen in real estate in the province of ontario and in some of in mostly the major cities that we we work in that's it i don't want to i'm not a i don't have a crystal ball i'm not a genie so awesome. i don't, yes. don't want to give a prediction on anything else a hundred percent a hundred percent so tell us what's kind of going on right now what does the market look like give us some insight yeah so the stats are as follows if you if you look at year over year statistics from February 2022 to February of 2023, those statistics really paint a, a detailed picture. So let's get into those statistics. The average sales price, and when we say average, you have to understand that they are talking about single family homes, semi-detached homes, townhouses, and condominiums, all four in the GTA. We're gonna talk about the greater Toronto area, you know, the Peel region, the, um, Toronto, the city of Toronto, the York region, Durham region, and I'm forgetting one more region. Why am I forgetting one more region? This is so embarrassing. No, uh, you said York, Peel. York, Peel, Durham, Toronto. There's one more region. Milton, no, Halton region. Halton region. <laughs> yeah, so the 
the average sales price, and when we talk about average, we're talking about single family homes, semi-detached homes, townhomes, condominiums, the average sale price year over year from February, 2022 to February, 2023 is down about 17%. Right. So this is in the GTA, the greater Toronto area. So city of Toronto, York region, you got Halton region, Peel region, and Durham region, five different regions. And so they combine the stats from all those regions and these different property types. And they found that year over year, prices are down 17%. So you're telling me that what this should indicate to you is that even with eight consecutive rate increases by the Bank of Canada, that prices are down 17%. In my opinion, I want to say the, like, I want to say the word only because that is not a drastic number. Why is it not a drastic number? Because the same region, same stats, same property types from October 2021 to February of 2022, there was an average increase of 20%. Right. So if 17% is the year over year number from February 2022 to February 2023, and they went down 17%, this tells us that we're not even below the October 2021 price. Yeah. So you're buying at around that level of October 2021. So it's still more expensive than pre-COVID. It's still more expensive than, you know, 2020. And for the most part, all of 2021. Right. It's definitely more expensive than February of 2022, where the prices were at an all-time high. Even though they've come down a little bit, it's still more expensive because of the mortgage interest rates that you're getting now. So it's costing more every single month for you to be in in a property type, in, in any property type. Right. It's right. more expensive. So that's the price, okay? That's the average sales price. Yeah. There's two other things that I like to look at mainly, and one of them is demand and one of them is supply. Okay. So let's tackle demand. That's the obvious one. We've seen demand decrease significantly ever since the Bank of Canada started making rate hikes and announcements uh, more frequently, right? It was the most aggressive rate hikes we've seen in the Bank of Canada's history. And it's pretty self-explanatory that demand would be down because a number of different reasons, people qualify for less, people want to wait and see what happens, people are not able to afford their mortgage payments anymore uh, or, or the mortgage payment that they'd get, uh, so they're priced out of the market now. Or some people just don't want to buy something for 500000 they were qualified for seven, and now with the rate hikes, they're qualified for less. Right. So they don't want to buy, so they're sidelined. So for a number of different reasons, demand year over year from February 2022 to February 2023 is down about 45%. So half. Okay. Half of all buyers sidelined right. for different reasons. Yeah. And then supply. So of course, if demand goes down, that's, the, that's directly going to impact the pricing right. in a normal market. Here's the kicker. Here's the part that what I say is nobody knows for sure what's going to happen because of this one reason. Okay. Supply. And supply is important when we talk about real estate. Not when we talk about stocks, bonds, mutual funds, cryptocurrency. I know there's an argument, Bitcoin, there's only so many coins and all this stuff, 21 million Bitcoins or whatever the number is. And so that's a you know scarcity issue. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, I need a roof over my head. Whether the market is doing good or the market is doing bad, I'm not gonna sleep on the streets. 
I need a roof over my head. Absolutely. Whatever that looks like. You live with your parents, you live in a basement, you rent a condo, you own a condo, you rent a house, you own a house, whatever that looks like. You need a place to live. And supply February of 2022 to February 2023 is down 41%. So it's almost down by the same percentage as demand is down. The numbers are different, but the percentages are the same. So what does that tell you? There's half, there's pretty much half of the inventory there, there was in February of 2022 at this point in time. Why is that important? Well, demand and supply affect prices, as we know. But at the same time, in February of 2022, for every single property we were seeing go on the market while the rates were low, we were seeing multiple bidding wars, like bidding wars taking place, multiple offer situations, 20, 30, 40 offers on one single property. And so with supply now being cut in half, even though the rates have gone up a few times, we're seeing the market pick back up. Right. Because there's less inventory. It's plain and simple. And that's that's something to watch out for. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So you're saying, with that being said, you're seeing a lot more houses now hitting the market? No, we're seeing we're seeing less. Okay. Well, actually, uh, we're seeing less statistically. But okay. we're seeing more come back on now as the weather's getting nicer. Right. We're entering a spring market. Right, which always the, plays a factor as yeah, well. Yeah, at the time of this recording, okay. that's, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing in some pockets, we're seeing multiple offer scenarios happen again. That's right. We are actually, yeah. I seen a pro- recently I seen a property it was on the market for 89 days. Wow. 89 days and it actually got three offers. Wow. 89 days later. And where uh like which location? This this was in Barrie. Okay. Yeah. Got it. But in Toronto we're seeing in some condo buildings that we're working on we're seeing multiple offer scenarios we're seeing that happen as well. Okay. Uh on our street where we live, yeah. sing- single family homes in York region, we saw a property hit the market. Two days sell. later. <laughs> no, same day. Oh, wait, was it, it was actually? Zero days on the market. Oh, wow. And it sold firm and it sold for pretty close to the asking price. Wow, amazing. That's yeah. awesome. So and quick closing, 30-day closing, firm, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, so that was my next question. What are like numbers looking like? Um, are people who are looking to get into the market, buy like a family home and things like that, are they going to get like a good deal if they buy a home right now what are like what are these sale prices looking like um what do you yeah, think so so it definitely depends where you're looking okay it, de- it depends where you're looking you know if you're looking at the city of toronto versus your region versus durham it just depends on where you're looking okay so how do you qualify a good deal is a good deal where you get a lower price today in march of 2023 is it is it bet is that a good deal or April twenty twenty three at the price you're getting today, but the mortgage rate is higher and maybe your payment is higher now than it would have been paying more for the house at a lower rate in twenty twenty two February of twenty twenty two, like how do you define a good deal? Right. So, I think the problem is people are waiting for this good deal to come around the corner and they do exist. They're there, but they're hard to come by. Yeah. But I think they're waiting for this good deal, and I think that's why I said so. I said earlier watching that supply number is so important if that supply number remains low it's slashed in half if that supply number remains that way i don't know how you're going to find a good deal because whoever's selling realizes that hey rates went up 
So we're not going to get this buying frenzy mm-hmm. that's hap- that happened. Yeah. Because rates went up and half the buyers are sidelined. Yeah. But half the, sup- the supply is gone. So as a result, I, you know, I'm going to stick firm on my price. It might take me 30 days to sell it, 60 days to sell it. But I'm going to, I'm going to get close to that, if not more. For sure. So that's, that's what's happening now. I don't, I don't know if like people are going to find quote unquote a good deal to you know in the way they're defining it you know they want the best of both worlds for sure low payment low price yeah ask yourself this question if a detached house that you want to buy is selling for 1.5 million and you think that if you wait long enough the market's going to crash how much is it going to crash by you tell me 30 percent. you think it's going to go from 1.5 million to a million let's just say that's what you think yeah okay if you think that's going to happen and it's going to go it's going to go from 1.5 to 1 million. You know, I don't know why it would do that. The market would do that. I don't I'm not of that opinion. I don't think that's going to happen. But if you think that that's going to happen because potentially rates rise even more, it kills the demand even more, maybe there's going to be a lot of supply that comes on the market from people who can't afford their homes anymore they're not making their mortgage payments right. so now that number goes up even though it's slashed in half let's just say it goes up more than what it was in february 2022 which is a giant number but let's just say it goes up higher than that and so, and demand is still down so the price goes down to let's say in that scenario 1 million dollars are you really going to be in the mindset of okay it's a million dollars but Interest is 8%, 9%, time to buy. Is that is that really like, are you really on top of it like that? That you're going to now say, that's a good deal for me. It's a million bucks. I'll, I'll date the rate. I'll marry the house for a million bucks. I'll date the rate for a couple of years. Hope the rate comes down. Are you really going to like be thinking about that if the market corrected itself 30%, right. 40%? I think if the market corrects itself 30 or 40%, we have bigger problems. That for sure, with. for sure. Like I think there's going to be a wide number of different problems that are happening all at the same time, which resulted in the prices coming down. And if the prices of real estate came down, everything gets impacted, especially in Canada, because in Canada, a, a good amount of our GDP is based on construction and housing, infrastructure, those kinds of things. And so if, if the prices really come down, are you going to be confident enough to say, Now's the time for me to buy. It went down from 1.5 to 1 million. Or are you still going to say, should I wait? Should I see how the, what happens to the rates? Is not a good time. I don't know. You know, maybe I'll save some more down payment. Which one is it? Yeah. Which one is it? So what constitutes a good deal? It's, it's different for everybody. Yeah. And I say this, if you're always going to, if you're going to be buying the house you're going to live in, what do you care what happens to the price of that house if you're living in it exactly your, your intention is not to sell it your intention is not to sell it so what why do you care about what's going to happen a year after you buy 100 percent. what's going to happen two years after you buy today how you don't know you don't know you don't know that so if it's something you're going to live in i don't even pay attention to that stuff when we bought our house, I didn't care about that. Yeah. The only thing I was thinking about is, am I going to be able to make these payments? Exactly. That's like all, you that's said, it makes, a, it makes a huge, uh, it's a huge factor. If you're going to be living in it, if it's an investment, totally different. Well, I have another, I have another thing. We're listing a property right now where the numbers don't make sense for a new investor to buy it because 
they're going to be out of pocket probably i'll tell you how much by now actually i'll tell you exactly how much they'll be out of pocket if they buy it for 500k and they put 25 percent down at a rate of six percent i was going to say 1500 they're, they're going to be down about 1700 dollars a month now that 1700 is your principal and your interest payment, which interest you write off, principal is your mortgage. You get that back. It's it's just paying down your mortgage. Yeah. But they're going to be down that much every single month. Yeah. And most people are going to look at that and say that that's a bad investment. They don't want to do that. Here's the thing though. That's at a rate of 6%. If the rate dropped to 2%, your payment drops significantly. It drops by more than $800 a month. Wow. So you were down for 17. Now you're going to be down nine. Wow. And from that nine is your mortgage being paid off is, is, uh, so you get that money back is interest that you get a write off in cause it's an investment. Wow. So what constitutes a good deal? I mean, you're going to base it off. So you want, like people say, you want to bake your cake and eat it too. So you want something that's going to cash flow. You want something that's going to be uh, in great condition, great location, but then you want it to cash flow and make sure the payments in line with rents and this and that. Well, it's hard to do that when the interest rate is six or seven percent. And if you're going to a B lender, you're looking and for an investment, you're looking at seven or eight percent. It's very hard to do that with prices the way they are and rates the way they are. But if you operate with a long-term mindset, I'm going to date the rate, swallow it for a year, two, three, five, whatever it is. And as an investment, I get to write off all my interest. I get to expense all the interest. The other portion of the payment is paying down my mortgage, which is building equity for me by somebody else or even by my own pocket. I have to pay down the mortgage. That's all yours in the long run. It's, I mean, it makes sense to do that if you buy something for the long run. Yep. Or I keep telling people, you don't want to worry about mortgage. You don't want to worry about interest rates. You don't want to worry about cash flowing. You don't want to worry about rents. Buy pre-construction. Buy something that's going to be ready in three years. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the rate. Oh, what are the rates going to be at in three years? Oh, guys. I mean, if that's the way you want to think about it, don't buy anything. A hundred percent. You don't know. A hundred percent. If I thought about that for the since I started buying condos at 19 and, and then properties after... If I thought about that, I would have, I would have never bought anything. And yeah. that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. If you think about those things, you'll probably never buy anything. So you have to decide, do you want to buy yeah. real estate? Is that what you want to do? And if you want to do that, well, it takes time. You're investing into a business. If you wanted to open up a restaurant today and you created a business plan, in your business plan, you'll show that for the next two years, your project, projections, you'll probably lose money. Yep. There's the cost to start up the business. There's the cost of managing the business. There's the cost of getting customers in the door, you know, client acquisition, all these different costs, food costs, employees, all these different things. Lease. You have to lease a place. You have to renovate a place. You have to, it's starting a business. Absolutely. You're going to, people are okay with doing that and being in the hole for two years, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, in hopes that in year three, you're going to start making money and turn it over. Yeah. Right. And that's how our economy works in, in some cases. But pe- the same people are not willing to buy a piece of real estate, put money into their mortgage every single month of, you know, a thousand bucks, write off $700 yep. in interest or the other way around, whatever way it is. They're not willing to do that for a year or two. Yeah. No, and own 100%. a piece of real estate. They're like not- the quote says, don't wait to buy real estate. 
buy real estate and wait. People don't seem to get that, but yeah, it's they're just operating with fear, operating with fear, and they're thinking about it in the wrong way. A hundred percent. In the wrong way. A hundred percent. And that is why, again, you need someone like yourself, Matthew, on their team. They need that. Um, And I know we're saying cash flow, like it's 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 right here. And I believe in that. I have some properties that cash flow, but guess what? I have some properties that don't cash flow. Yep. They break even. Yep. My first condo that I ever bought, the one I talk about when I was 19, man, that doesn't even break even. That costs me, I think like $800 a month right now. Right. 800 bucks a month is not a little bit of money. No, it's but, not. But I consider that the principal portion of, of my mortgage that I'm paying into while my tenant is paying for everything else. 100%. So then why why would I own it? And why does it? Well, first of all, the only reason it costs that much is I bought it for 305 right? I got a mortgage for 240 and I refinanced it. You know how much the mortgage is now? It went from 240 to 520. Wow. Yeah. Wow. The, the rents haven't caught up, but I've refinanced that so many times and taken that much equity out every single time to fund my other expenditures and my other investments and things like that. That 800 bucks a month is a small price to pay, which I get to write off is a small right uh price to pay small price to pay for for that equity and for owning that property 100% one, one day the debt is going to be lower the rate is going to be lower i have a rate of just under 5% 4.8% the rate's going to be lower the debt is going to be lower the rent's going to be higher cuz that's what's happened throughout the life of that property which is why i felt the need to refinance it now it's going to be the rents are going to be higher and then i'm not in that position but you have to be willing to go through that Absolutely. To take out 300000 to take out whatever amount of money tax-free that you could use for everything else. Yeah. If I've taken that money out, I'm paying for it. I'm paying 800 bucks extra to pay it down. But I just took 300 k and I took that 300 k and reinvested it into multiple properties, multiple things. Yeah. Or I consolidated debt that was at a higher rate at 8%. I consolidated it to 4.8. It's all a numbers game. So if you start looking at it that way, wow, then everything starts to look like a good deal for you. Right. Because you start understanding the math and the numbers. If you can understand the math and the numbers, well, you can make sense out of it. Carson, you got a question? Yeah. Um, I kind of like making scenarios. So let's say you and Sarah basically had to had to start again in terms of your, your finances and net worth. You're making, in this scenario, $150,000 combined and you had $200,000 in savings, what would you do in terms of um, real estate? You make 150K, you have 200K in savings. I would I would think about three on the spot. You're putting me on the spot, Carson. <laughs> but I would think of a couple of different scenarios. Uh, the first scenario I would think of, okay, I got 200K. How much do I need for the next six months in terms of my own expenses like if we have a place to live or whatever the case may be how much do i need for six months take that money from the 200k put it off to the side always i always do that and number two is okay what am i left with do i want to buy as an example a triplex or a fourplex now that i understand real estate i have to start all over so i still have my knowledge base do i want to buy a triplex or a fourplex that generates great rents great returns I have multiple tenants. I have the opportunity to expand it. Do I want to buy one single property that I can manage that way and then have some money left over? 
Or, and this is how I started, this is how I really started, I took that 200K and then I put it into two or three different pre-construction investments. One would be ready in two years, one would would be ready in three years, one would be ready in four years. And that gave me time to now build up more of my savings, do better at work, maybe earn more income and close the first one, perhaps refinance it, put a tenant in there, get my money out of it, get ready for the second one and keep doing that. That's, that's how I started. So I probably follow the same formula. Don't forget, you've got to live somewhere too. Exactly. Exactly. You have to have a place to live. And you know, one thing with the house, I, I said this to you, if we do this, if we do the house, it's going to limit our ability to invest. Mm-hmm. Of course it will, because number one, I'm putting X amount of dollars into the house as a down payment, as closing costs, yep. whatever. Number two, I have monthly expenses, so I got to set it aside. And number three, you're tied to where you live now. Yeah. So that's it. That's where you're going to live. Yeah. I say that because if you are trying to buy a house now and you don't own anything else, you don't own any other investments, and that's the route you want to take, you want to buy your home. You don't want to rent your home. You don't want to rent where you live. You don't want to compromise what you're going to buy. You want to just buy the dream house. Well, just know that you're going to be working to pay off that house. That's it. You're you're taking, that's a liability. That's right. It's going to take money out of your pocket every single month. That's right. That's it. That's a decision you really have to come to. Yeah, exactly. So I did it a little bit differently when, you know, I never had anyone telling me to buy real estate anyway. Actually, when I bought my first place and told my, my mom about it, she freaked out. She discouraged me from buying initially. Um, but I never had someone telling me, you know, buy it, buy this detached house, rent it out. And one day you'll move in. Right. Nor did I want to do that. I didn't think that that was a a good investment to me, but what I did is I just started buying a bunch of other stuff, growing the portfolio. And then when the time was right, where I said, okay, now we should probably have a house. I hate moving. I don't want to live in a townhouse. That's just me. I've lived in condos all my life. So so if I'm going to now leave a condo that I'm renting where I live, then, you know, I'm going to move and, and move once. I don't want to move after that. Right. Otherwise, I'll stay put. Yeah. That's what we talked about. Yeah. Do we stay put yeah. buy in the next three years? Do we buy now? Yeah. We looked around, whatever. So that's what I did for 10 years before I bought our house. Yeah. Right. So just know that if you guys are going to buy your house and you guys want to live in that house forever, it's your dream home. It's a big expenditure. You're going to spend 1.5 million or whatever it is. Just know that you're going to be, if your income is, is, is not fluid and it's static, just know that you're going to be paying a majority of your income towards that house. And that's going to limit your ability to spend money elsewhere, whether it's another investment or whether it's, I don't know, a trip or, or something else, you're going to have less disposable income to now do, do other things with. A hundred percent. So keep keep that in mind. Always keep that in mind. You really have to look at all the factors. And we totally did that before we jumped the gun and made that decision. We definitely talked it out, listed all the pros and cons and things like that. We did that. We did that a lot. Yeah. We did that a lot. We moved moved an investment around. So, so back to that, the, I did, I, I did that for 10 years buying investments. And then the second ever investment, which was my first townhouse I ever bought, it was the second property I bought after the condo. I, we decided it was a good idea to sell it. Yep. And I, and we sold it. 
I sold it. Remember, it was like New Year's Eve. Yeah. Or the day just before. Yeah. And December 30th, I think. And that was super. What, how how was that feeling for you? I remember you were super. I was pissed off. I wasn't of course, even happy. I was like, course. I was like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah, Why am I selling this? I was so upset. I'm looking. I'm looking at the purchase and sale agreement that the realtor sent me. Nine ninety. I bought that house for three ninety. Yeah. And I was like, I'm, I'm pissed off at it. Firm deal. Yeah. No conditions. You're gonna get a twenty five thousand dollar deposit. You'll close it. Uh, we closed it. I think February tenth of twenty twenty two. Yeah. So it was just a sixty day closing. Exactly. Or a forty five day closing. And you're looking at me like. You're not happy. I go, no, it's like a bittersweet moment. 100%. Like, like this thing makes me money. A hundred percent. Because you're a firm believer. Exactly. You're yeah. a firm believer. You should hold on to all your real estate, I, make I, money. I sold one of my businesses. Yeah. That's what I did that day. Uh-huh. I sold it. And it was like, I was like pissed off. I'm looking at the offer. Like, I'm just going to say F it. I'm not signing this deal. I'm not, I'm not responding to anybody. I don't, I don't want to sell it anymore. Yeah. And you know, then I felt bad. I had my tenant, good guy, you know, remember our yeah. tenant. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I gave him a lot of, actually I didn't give him, he didn't move out because we had a lease agreement in place. So he stayed, the new owner kept him. That's how good of a tenant he was. Which he is kept awesome. Him. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, kept him after the lease agreement expired. And yeah, but for me, I was like pissed off. Cause I said, man, I worked so hard to get this house. I, I, I'm not going to find it for that price. Yeah. It's, you know, 390. I bought it in 2014 or 20. Yeah. I think 2014. Yeah. 2014, I believe. And it was like, well, I don't want to sell it. Was it was bittersweet. It was bittersweet. bittersweet. But, but it was for the right move. That townhouse got me my down payment for the new house. Yeah. And that's pretty much it because we had to pay taxes. Exactly. And, but, and now but we're still in our the, family home. But still the down payment that everybody says, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get 400000 I don't know how I'm going to save. for. Yeah, you're right. Saving 400000 is a lot of money. Saving on saving 20000 yeah. is a lot of money. So here's a solution to how you're going to get it. Compromise on what you're going to buy. Don't, don't aim for that dream house right now. Compromise on what you're going to buy. Bless you. <laughs> and uh you always sneeze eh? <laughs> um compromise on what you're gonna buy in terms of your dream home or maybe if you if you don't want to buy your dream home just yet you want to buy an investment and that investment is going to hopefully produce good fruit and that you could sell it one exactly. day exactly and, and that's what i did you know i in the position i'm in didn't have any money to put into when we bought the house i didn't have the money yeah then then we saw the house yeah i thought it was underpriced and i'm i'm right because even throughout the the rate hikes and everything it's maintained its value and not only maintains the value it still made money because we made money on the buy on the yeah. purchase and you have your house you have the house that you wanted that you wanted to exactly to get into prior to that we were we were renting yeah paying 2200 bucks i think mm-hmm. a month in mm-hmm. rent or something like that for a one bedroom plus den condo in Vaughn, actually right above our office. So it was very convenient. You just go down the stairs, go to work. It was very convenient. Yeah, yeah. But we made we made other compromises too. Yeah. We, we decided as a couple, we just need one car. Yep. You know, things like that. Um, we don't spend money on, on too many things like clothes and things like that. We're not flashy that way uh, at all. But at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for you. And if if right now you can't afford to buy a house, but you have 50 grand, you have something that you want to play around with, either partner with somebody, get your parents involved. I don't, don't be prideful and say, I don't want to involve my parents. I want to do it on my own. So you're telling me that when you have kids, you're not going to want to help them. Your parents, if they're in a position to help you be smart about it, because it's your parents hard earned money and they've worked hard all their lives and things like that, but work with them, use them, 
give them skin in the game. Hey mom, I want to buy this condo. Hey dad, I want to buy this condo. I have 50 grand. You want to put 50 grand and we'll buy it together. Yeah. Right. Your, your brother, your sister, whoever, what, maybe your best friend, obviously, you know, do your homework on what you want to do and who you want to partner with. Of but course. at the end of the day, the, these are the opportunities that exist today. Maybe you get into one of those pre-construction condos instead of buying your dream home that you can't even afford to buy right now. Maybe you get into a pre-construction, put, put a deposit on something. By the time it's ready, it could be worth more or you hang on to it for a few years, rent it out, make some money when you're ready to buy your house. You could use that to fund, to fund your purchase. So, so many different ways you can go. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Great points. So you, um, so we all know you're a firm believer of putting all your eggs in the real estate basket. What kind of markets would you tell people right now are some hot markets to buy, especially if it's someone who is looking for a good investment property? Um, what are some of those locations that right now are either selling for really good prices or you see a lot of opportunity come up? What do you think? Yeah. So I don't, when I talk, if you guys are listening to this, I don't talk to flippers. Yeah. Like I'm not talking to flippers right now. Mm -hmm. The information that I give you are, is based on my strategy. Right. My strategy is very simple. You buy it, you hold it, rent it. And if you want to refinance, refinance it and take your money out or take a bunch of the equity out. That's, I don't refinance every single property. I wait. There's a point in time where I want to refinance or, or may not want to, but I hold it for the long run. Right. And so the information that I'll give you for that question is just based on the, that idea of renting the property out and holding it and holding it. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean I buy ugly properties. I mean, I did buy a couple ugly properties in 2021. I'm not going to lie in August of 2021 because we redid them. I was just going to say, yeah, they weren't, yeah. they were not ugly anymore after no, we went in there. They're beautiful. They're actually, actually. quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, I don't buy ugly properties in bad locations. Yeah. You know, we've all heard the thing, location, location, location. That's so important. We've all heard that. But it's so important, you guys. Don't look at a $200,000 property in a certain area in Timbuktu and say, that's a good deal. It's 200 grand. It costs me 1500 a month. I can rent it out for 1800 I cash flow $300 a month. Okay. But what happens when the furnace goes out? What happens when the roof goes out? What happens if the, if you're vacant for one month? There goes your profits. Don't look at it that way. Buy in the best locations. 100%. So what locations do I think are good? Anything with a university or, or college nearby is X. I've, I've made the most money on rentals because of that. And I, I wish I knew that sooner. That doesn't mean you have to buy student housing. That just right. means buying something close to that school. I've never had something vacant, which means it's sitting empty when a tenant leaves, even if it's a student or, yeah. or something like that, because they turn over every year. I've never had something vacant. Um, I've never had something sitting there empty. Yep. I've had multiple offers because there's lots of students looking, not enough residences, not enough dorms, things like that. Also, it's not just students, it's TAs. Yep. I have a, a TA tenant right now studying masters in their masters, doing their master's degree. And, uh, you know, in one unit, that's who's living there. And the other unit is a student, you know, so it could be faculty, could be staff. So definitely buying near a university. Hmm. Great uh, point. Yeah, that's that's great. College campuses as well. Um, transit, being close to transit is so important. I recently did a deal in November of 2022. Uh, sorry. Yeah, November 2022, I bought it, closed it in February of 2023. My own, my own deal. 
and the bus stop it's one of the biggest deals ever bought like for for me but the bus stop is right in front of the property and that is so important it's on a corner yeah of a of a main intersection That's stop huge. signs yeah. four stop signs bus stop is there easily easily you'll rent that yeah out. easily so and i know which property you're talking about so it's also super important that there's so many amenities and like different types of shops restaurants cafes all around right yeah yeah it's a short it's a short drive yeah not even a five minute drive yeah. to, the, to the downtown core yeah all that stuff um so markets that i like in specifically certain pockets uh markham specifically near like Warden and 407, the new Markham. They're calling it the downtown Markham. I love that location. We love it. We go to the theater all the time. Shout out to Remington Homes. They're they're building that community. Yeah. Um, I've purchased there. And the York University campus is a short walk away yeah. from all these new buildings that they're gonna be putting up there. So you're close to a school, you're you're walking distance to you know VIP Cineplex, uh Roots Chris State Cal. Like big, Again, so yeah. much roots of transportation there too. <laughs> transportation yeah. yeah you got the 407 yeah. you got highway 7 so yeah. like that pocket of Mar- i don't want to just say markham no i don't know all of markham right. but i know that part of markham yeah i like it yeah barry uh again specifically in the areas where um the income is high the median household income is high um it's a little bit more family friendly right more community oriented you got the college there you got the the waterfront yeah you got so many you got the go station yeah you got so many amenities there so i like i like certain parts of barry like essa road mapleview drive um those are parts of barry that i like and i i own properties there another really up-and-coming market and it's such a hidden gem that even lenders don't want to lend so much money in that mm-hmm. area just yet so like like I've, I've got my mortgages with td bank so lenders will will lend but they needed you know an extra 5% down payment just to feel safer or whatever. Aurelia. Aurelia. Aurelia is so hot. You could buy properties for so cheap, even today, and get strong rents for them. Wow. You know, there's Lakehead University in downtown. Yeah. Uh, hospitals. Being next to a hospital, that's great too. Not directly next to it because yeah. of the sound, but definitely being close to a hospital. Your tenants could be nurses, doctors, other, yeah. other staff. And so... Aurelia is a is a really hot market. People ask me about Toronto, and I say Toronto's Toronto. It's it's yeah. a major city in the world. Be ex- expect to pay top dollar for it, but it's Toronto of at course. the end of the day. So hundred percent. Yeah, those those would be my cities that are go to right now. Okay, that's where I'm buying. Oh, and and I'm closing some deals later this year in Brantford, just west of Hamilton. Brantford. Yeah, strong rental market, home of Wayne Gretzky. Right, Carson's giving us the thumbs up. And it's a strong rental market and you could still get properties for a relatively affordable price. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Carson, do you have any questions? What is your recommendations for young couples, first time home buyers, things that they really need to know when purchasing their, their first home? That's a good question. That's so a really good one. The, the biggest complaint that I get after somebody closes a deal is that the closing fees were too high or... You know, they, they weren't aware of, of, of this. And the good thing is we always give it to them in writing and we say revert back to this. Th- these are your closing costs approximately. When you buy from a builder, there are closing costs from the builder that you're never gonna 100% know how much that is until you get to the closing date. And so we try to give like an approximate range based on your purchase and sale agreement and based on our experience. But that number could be different. 
We try to get caps and limits on what some of those charges can amount to. But the biggest issue we get is, is the closing cost. And here's the thing, you guys, like it is what it is. It's going to be what it is. Uh, that's, that comes with every property that you buy. If you buy new built, then you're going to have a closing cost from the builder that you don't have if you buy something that's already built, but that's because you're the first owner of that property. So what we tell people, in addition to your down payment, you're going to have to pay lawyers. You're going to have to pay land transfer tax. There, there will be some rebates on some of these things if you're a first-time home buyer. Lawyer fees, uh, land transfer tax. You might have some lender fees if depending on which bank you're going to, which lending institution you're going to for your financing. And then you will have, if you're buying from a builder, builder charges. So we tell people budget around an additional 5% of your purchase price for your closing fees. If you could have... You buy something for half a million, if you could set aside $25,000 for your closing fees in addition to your down payment, you'll be in a good spot. But that's uh, that's the biggest, Carson, that's the biggest thing we get. People just saying, oh, this this blindsided me and, and I wasn't aware of it. It's so true that you, you say that because my wife, uh, Tanya and I, the same thing with our first property. Luckily, like you guys, we had a good realtor who I think it's important that realtors tell their client before this home is purchased so that they're not all of a sudden blindsided blindsided by this right so important super important super important important. yeah yeah that land transfer tax can get you especially if you buy a property in toronto you don't really yes that's right because it's double in toronto right yeah but you don't really maybe explain to people what you would pay for um for land transfer tax as a as a first time yeah you know what it's a it's a formula that i choose not to memorize but (laughs) it's it's just you could just use a land transfer tax calculator so i'm gonna pull it up let's say you buy something for let's use six hundred thousand dollars something that's entry level i know that's sad to say but that's that's what it is so six hundred thousand dollars expect to pay if you're buying it in the city of Toronto, you're going to pay about $17,000. If you're buying it outside of the city of Toronto, it's about $8,500 off a $600,000 purchase. Wow. And that's for a first-time home buyer though, because I thought it was exempt. No, first-time home buyers have a rebate. They can get a rebate amount. Oh, okay, up to a certain amount. Up to a certain amount. So there's a cap. So if you were a first-time home buyer, in that same scenario, you you buy something for six hundred k, your land transfer tax is, just, uh, it's about seventeen thousand. You would get a rebate of about eighty five hundred. So you're still on the hook for about nine grand, ninety five hundred bucks. You're still on the hook for that as a first time home buyer, but there are rebates up to that amount. So, the rebate in Toronto is about eighty five hundred bucks that you're you're entitled to. It's about $4,000 outside of, of the city of Toronto. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Understood. You get it right away. That's the cool thing about re- the rebate for the land transfer tax. It happens right on closing. Okay. You don't have to pay for it and get it back. It just is deducted from yeah. what you have to bring in. But be prepared, you guys. That's why I say to people, it's not easy to buy a home. I, after every single transaction, even my own, I never say, wow, that was smooth. No, it just every single transaction requires time energy effort the willingness to go through it and make it happen stress yeah there it, it comes with just the the territory so to speak of course yeah it's it comes with that transaction type so 
be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't somebody also have to go inside the home that you've bought to make sure that you've, you've paid the right amount for it and that you didn't overpay? I remember that being kind of one of the fees where they, it's called, uh, I forget what it's oh, called, but the, that's, that's the appraisal. The, that's, that's the word I was looking for the appraisal. So yeah. not, not to forget about that one. Yeah. So when you're getting a mortgage, I mean, you might, this is a good point. You might buy something for a million bucks. You go to the bank and say, I bought it for a million bucks. I need a mortgage. How much do I qualify for? Ideally, you should have done that before you bought something. But let's say that happens. Now you go to the bank and the bank has to send somebody in a third party that you pay for usually around 500 to a thousand bucks, depending on the, the property type. But you go in there or they go in there. I should say they, they appraise it. They look at different properties that have sold on your street and, and, and things like that. And they put a value on the property. Sometimes that value is less than what you paid for it. Yeah. And if it is, let's say you bought it for a million bucks and the guy says or girl says it's worth 900K, the bank will still give you a mortgage. But that difference of 100K, you need to come up with cash, put it into the property. It's part of your down payment. Yep. And so you got to be prepared to, to do that in a scenario where there's multiple offers, things get wild. Yeah. And all of a sudden the prices escalate greatly. Yeah. You might be on the hook for a hundred K extra. Does, did that ever happen to any of your clients, Matthew? It's, it, it's happened, but because, because of like, you know, when it happened, it happened, let's say my client bought something in January of 2020 and what happened in March, mid March, 2020 COVID became all we could talk about and the world shut down. So obviously property values took, took a decrease, dip. Yeah. But what we did in those scenarios, we worked directly with the lender uh, on the mortgage side and the appraisal company. And we pushed, man, because we have a real estate background, because we could go into the MLS and look at recently sold comparables, we can make a case. And honestly, we're not, you know, Danny's a little bit more passive and he's not that aggressive. Like, and that's just his personality type, but I'm aggressive. I'll pick up the phone. I won't yell at anyone, but I'll be very, very firm. Um, Firm, not firm. Yeah, firm as well, but also I'm willing to debate. Yeah. I'm willing to engage. I'm not willing to be laissez faire and say to oh, Mr. and Mrs. Client, this is the way it is. Yeah. No, I'll tell Mr. and Mrs. Client, this straight. is what's yeah. this is what's going on here. Don't worry just yet. I gotta pick up the phone. But this is what worst case scenario looks like. Yeah. I gotta pick up the phone. I gotta call the appraisal company. I gotta call the lender. Gotta call in some favors. And we've done that. But you need to you yeah. need to be that way. I find you need to be that way. If you're gonna blindside your clients or give it to them like in a sensitive way and whatever that's it's not going to do them anything it's not no. going to do anything for them except put them in harm and like you're saying the day comes when the appraisal has to the appraiser has to go in and they're screwed because then they're paying out of pocket or they have to come out dish that money that they weren't expecting and things like that so you need yeah. to have a, a person guide you in the sense of how you do it. You have to be nice yeah, and firm about it. You got to know how to play the game. You got to know the arena you're in. Niceness doesn't work all the time. Aggressiveness doesn't work all the time. Right. You need to evaluate the situation you're in. Yeah. And that has happened to us, but we've picked up the phone and we've, again, called those parties. We've had someone on the other side who doesn't even know, you know, the client, but we've said, can you make a phone call to the appraisal company? You know, that person, get them to, you know, sharpen their pencils we call it right and do better right on the appraisal right and so if, if the if the if that appraisal comes back and now they get 20 grand more 30 grand more 40 grand more that's money the client doesn't have to pay for yeah we're willing to do that for the same amount of money that we get paid or somebody else would get paid we're willing to do that why because we want to be the best at what we do when people work with us 
We don't leave somebody stranded. Right. These are people we're going to see at our Christmas gala, at our barbecue, at my book launch, at wherever else, whatever event we're going to do at the Financial Freedom Club on YouTube, on our podcast, they're going to hear us. Why would we want to steer them in the wrong direction? That's exactly. Not, that's not the way we operate our business. So it pays to know, it pays to know people, pays to be known as well. And that all translates to the value that we bring to our clientele. A hundred percent. And since we're on the topic of appraisers, so the bank tells you, you need to get that home or something or that property approved uh, before appraised, we can, yeah. yeah, sorry, appraised uh, before we get the mortgage. Yep. How, how does that work? So is this someone that the bank refers you or do they give you the option of, Hey Matt, do you work with a referral or no, um, no, no, the bank, the banks have their own list and okay. their own approved appraisers. Okay. And you could order one of them. Oh, okay. Got yeah. it. Got it. And yeah. by now I'm sure you've worked with a few of the same appraisers. Is that how that works? Yeah. 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 Well, no, sometimes some banks, it's like an, it's an automated system. Oh, okay. And you don't get to pick who, who it is. Got it. Got some it. banks, it. there's approved list. Yeah. They've already done their due diligence. They've already vetted those companies and they say, it doesn't matter who you call. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Very you, cool. You also want to make sure that, you know, the appraisers, like they, they have a job to do as well. Of course. And they're not going to fudge the numbers. They're yeah. not going to do anything out of the ordinary. But here's the thing. An appraisal is an opinion of value. Yeah. That's literally the definition of it. It's an opinion of value. So what does that mean? What does that tell you? Everybody's got an opinion. And that opinion, no two appraisals are alike. You could bring two appraisers in, five, bring five appraisers in to one property. They'll all come up with a different value. Right. Which is why it's so important to have a relationship with them if you can to be willing to work with them if you can, pick up the phone, talk to them. And then if you have a good solid real estate background like we do, I look at the report, here's what they use for the report to generate the value, and I contest it. I contest it, I send them my own list of comparables. I actually do that ahead of time. Here's a list of properties that have sold. You're gonna go in, you're gonna look at your own comparables, you're gonna go on the MLS like I just did. Here's a list of what I see that has sold over the last 30 to 60 days, if, if possible. I let them know that we know what we're doing. So make sure that you do your best. Right. That's that's why we do that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, cool. You've heard me have yelling matches with appraisers sometimes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, but, I definitely uh, have. <laughs> but, we, right? but it's the same appraiser that then we'll go to lunch together. I know, I know. You know? No, for and sure. And it's not, it's sure. not, and it's never personal. That's it's, what people. I was just going to say, it's never sometimes, personal. Sometimes I, I understand that my personality turns away certain client types. I get it. Number one, you don't have to work with me. You can work with Danny. You can work with Trevor. You can work with whoever you want at, at the company. You don't have to work with me, but. Just know that when those guys are in trouble, Danny's calling me. Yeah. Just know that when someone needs to be talked to, they're calling me. Carson, I know you're making that face and he's not here to, to, to say anything on that point, but it's the truth. Danny will call me and say, hey, this is what happened. Before I call the client, how would you like to proceed? And I say, hang tight. Let me make a couple calls. I'll just say this. I kind of know a little bit of that uh, firsthand myself with, uh, you know, I think... You and I have had some uh, couple heated discussions, <laughs> but man, business is business, and yeah, it's never and, personal, and it's, it's never ne it's never gotten personal or anything. And we, no. you know, you always respect people, and yeah. same with me. And it's just that's just how the world is. Eh? And we're still working together. We're still working together. Yeah, I'm doing a exactly. lot of stuff. But when it comes to clients, though, I t I take it personal in the sense of they're trusting us to you know represent them well and do well by them. And so sometimes if I got to get heated with 
another agent or if I got to get heated with another, uh, the other side, whatever that looks like, or the lender or the underwriter or the loan officer or the person at the bank or the appraiser, whoever it is, or the builder or the builder. I've gotten into fights with builders and it's not something, you know, you know, it does, again, you, you don't want it to go personal. These are people we still have excellent relationships of course. with. It's just, I don't know. I find it very, I find it very um, enjoyable to be able to now speak my mind in a, in a good way, in a, in, a, in a smart way. And it's because I'm helping my client out and doing it for that reason. I don't have to. I can be all rainbows and sunshine and smiley and and Mr. and Mrs. Client, this is this is why it is and this is there's nothing more we could do about it. I could do that. No, no. And no. I could pet you on the top <laughs> of your head if it makes you feel better as you swallow that. Yeah. But at the same time, no. It's I'm not like that. As you know, I need to do the best I can. The other day one of our clients was exce- just a quick story on that topic, what I mean as an example illustration of this. Um, we were, this is a simple lease. Okay. We're, we're representing the landlord and there's another agent. They bring the tenant. We agree on everything. We agree on everything. The client agrees The my landlord agrees. Hey, this is, you know, acceptable to me. Okay. Now, when I went back to the age, it's acceptable the way it is. Right. But when I went back to the agent, I asked for something that if they said no, my client didn't even know it was fine the way it is. Right. But I said, I have to ask. You know, there's always something in me that I have to ask. Yeah. You know, our teacher said, you know, you miss 90% of the shots, 100% of the shots you don't take. Right. And so I always have to ask. I went back to that guy and I said, look, because of these reasons, can can you guys do this? He said, that won't be a problem. Now, is that part of negotiation, negotiating skills and all that stuff? Of course it is. But at the same time, my client said they're fine the way it is. It doesn't need to go further than that. Yeah. So I have to be careful with how I ask it yeah. to not lose the, the deal and all that because, because I have to be careful. Yeah. But I have to ask. 100%. And that person agreed. And then my client after, you know, afterwards asked me and said, hey, like, you know, what's that for? Why, did you, why was that thrown in afterwards? I explained it to them. Wow. We're so thankful. You didn't have to do that, of course, but I I didn't have to do that, but I gauged the situation. I tried to get you an even better deal than you were willing to accept, and it worked. If it didn't work, you just accept the deal you were accepting anyway, but it worked. And so as a result of that, you're better off. Most realtors, oh my gosh, Sarah's willing to accept the deal. Let's hurry up and take this deal to the bank because I need my commission. That's not us. No, I can say firsthand, That's honestly, you are a freaking shark. So I know like even being on the back end, sometimes I'm like listening to things that are happening on, on like certain deals or like you're coming to like a closing of a deal or you're kind of putting in an offer and the real, the realtor is kind of saying, yeah, like we'll do it type of thing. And I see how you act in terms of trying to get more money for your client because ultimately that's what you're doing. That's what you want to do. Um, and I see how like, you won't even like say it to your client. You're just doing it on the back end and hoping that like whatever you say and do like works. And then you go back to your client and bring it to them. And they're like so grateful because they were not expecting that that was going to get thrown in there. They're, yeah. They were happy just getting the one number that you told them about. But now that you're really working hard to get that amount more just to make them happy. And it's so cool. It's so cool to see that when you're doing that, like you're just, it's always, always about the client. And like, I think this is why you've gotten so far because 
Well, it's not oh, 95% of our business is repeat and referrals. 100%. If I'm not taking care of my clients, how are they going to refer me business? 100%. How are they going to do business with me again? Yeah. So a, a lot of realtors are not like that. Just take, obviously if it's a, it's a case by case basis. And if some, there's moments where I say to my clients, guys, this is as good as of it's going to get. Of course. Take the deal. Of course. Plain and simple. Of course. But. But when you have to be aggressive and when you have to put in the work and be that shark, you definitely I, do. It. I've seen realtors who say, oh my gosh, Mr. and Mrs. Klein, this is, this is a great deal. Take it because the realtor can't believe the deal is that good. A hundred percent. Meanwhile, they don't realize they could get a better deal. A hundred percent. But they're so inexperienced or they're scared. They're nervous. They're nervous. Yeah. We finally got a deal. We've yep. been waiting. They're thinking there are commissions, yep. this and that. That no. they're like rushing to get they're that signed and done. They're rushing to get it done, done and exactly. move on. And you know what? When you look at those realtor statistics, they typically sell their properties for less money than the other, the, the, the top 1%. Yep especially the volume realtors. Yeah. It's a transaction for them and they're doing such big marketing spend yeah. that, you know, you know what guys, this is another episode. We I into. So, <laughs> so I, I think, I think we should wrap up the, the, the real estate side and maybe we'll talk about how to run a real estate business in another episode. Yeah, for sure. No, this has been amazing. Are there any final thoughts you want to leave your um, audience with on the topic of real estate? Yeah. I mean, just, just a few pointers. We already discussed them. The time is right when the time is right for you. Yeah. And you need to decide, do I want to buy real estate or don't I want to buy real estate? My my approach is long-term buy and hold and rent and all that stuff. Have a team in your corner, the right team, get your financing in place, take a look at what's happening in the market. And for those of you guys who stay till the very end, you're listening to this, my official prediction is the market's going to pick back up throughout 2023. There might be some turbulence at the end of the year, depending on what the Bank of Canada does, depending on other external factors, but all things remaining equal where demand is down by half, supply is down by half. I think, and we're starting to see what's happening with some pockets getting multiple offers. I think the market's going to continue to do well um, throughout this year. Awesome. 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 Once again, thank you so much, Matthew. That was awesome. And a great episode. I cannot wait for everyone to hear this. Um, And thanks. Thanks, guys. Till next time, we're out.